We're turning in our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus and the chapter 25. We spent some time in these verses a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we're going to just read them again to familiarize ourselves with them, and then a reading from the New Testament as well. Uh, The book of Exodus, please, in the chapter 25 and the verse uh, 31. Of course, this tells us about and how the golden candlestick was to be made. Uh, There's not great detail on its dimensions or anything like that, uh, but certainly it tells us what it was made of and how it was made. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 25. This is the word of the Lord. We read there, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls and his noops and his flowers uh, shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches from the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Uh, Three bowls uh, made like unto almonds, with a nup and a flower in one branch, and three uh, bowls made like almonds in the other branch, with a nup and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their noops and their flowers. And there shall be a noop under two branches of the same, and a noop under two branches of the same, and a noop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their noops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And that's important. The light was constantly going to burn, and they were going to light this candlestick, or this golden lampstand, as we've called it. Verse 38, And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. And just another reading, please, in the New Testament, found in the book of Acts. Acts, please, and the chapter 1 and the verse 8. The book of the Acts and the chapter 1 and the verse 8. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in these verses, being quoted. And we find there in verse 8 in Acts chapter 1, it says, Be, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when the Lord Jesus had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall also come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned on to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room 
where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and the son and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And then chapter 2 please of Acts and the verse 1, just the first four verses there. Of course, they're in this upper room where they've been praying. And this is what happens. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with their with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts here in this place this evening. Uh, now this week we're coming back to the golden lampstand. And of course we began a two-week study in this a couple of weeks ago. And you'll remember that we've now entered into the holy place. Excuse me. And we've now entered into the holy place which was just through this door here in the tabernacle. And, you've, and we've been in this place and we've spent a while in it. And of course we have visited the altar here of incense and we're now considering the golden lampstand. In the Lord's will next week we'll come to the table of showbread and we'll learn the lessons that we can learn from that particular piece of furniture next, Lord, or next Wednesday evening. However, this evening we return to this lampstand and you'll remember from last week that we considered the central shaft that ran up the middle of the lampstand and how it reminded us of Christ. And we were challenged by God's word and Paul's testimony, in particular in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. We, we challenged our hearts in what it means to have Christ as center of all. He must be Lord of all. And we thought about how we must detach ourselves from the detached from activities and things that become idols a bit like the golden calf that we read about in the time of the Israelites we need to dethrone ourselves from our own heart's throne in other words take ourselves off the throne and put Christ in his rightful place Peter Craig you put your name is in Peter Craig is to be crucified with Christ that that's really what we need to think about here and dethroning ourselves and putting Christ in his rightful throne as the little chorus goes it is no longer I that liveth but Christ that liveth in me and then of course when Christ is central we'll depend on him for all things so the last time we considered the aspect of the golden lampstand that teaches us of Christ and now this week we turn our attention to the spirit of God we see the spirit of God here in the lampstand. Now where do we see a picture of the Spirit of God in the lampstand? Well you'll remember that last time as we introduced and described the lampstand uh, we thought about the duties that the priests would have had and the light from the lampstand was imperative for the priests to carry out their roles because there was no outside light that was able to come into the holy place. Therefore, the burning of this lampstand was of extreme importance if the priests were to serve the Lord in the holy place. 
And of course, there was the main shaft and then the six branches that came out from that main shaft. And therefore, the priests, they had to tend to these lamps and trim them to ensure that the oil never ran out. And of course, this fire or flame, it was to constantly burn there in the holy place. Quite often, when you read about fire and throughout the scripture, it's a picture of the Spirit of God. Now, I want to make just a couple of observations before we consider the work of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, there were seven flames, as there were seven bowls with oil to burn, and seven in Scripture is the number of perfection. So we know that the seven flames represent the person of God, and namely, God the Holy Spirit. And of course, this lampstand, it burned in the holy place where the priests of the tribe of Levi, Aaron and his sons, would come before the Lord and worship the Lord on behalf of the people. And it's important to note this wasn't done in front of people. That's the second thing I want you to note. Not only the number that there were, but the role of the priests. It wasn't done publicly. It wasn't done in front of people. It wasn't done in front of a great crowd. It was done in secret, if you like. It was done in the tent. It was done, I suppose you could say, in the heart. And there's too many people these days who want to look the part in front of the church, but in secret, they're called and dead and very far from God. The priest's duty was done in secret. He represented the Lord in secret there in the holy place. Out of the eyes of people, that's where he worshipped. And we can take the lesson, the New Testament lesson. So often scripture is a commentary for itself. And in Matthew chapter 6 verse 6, the Lord Jesus said, But thou, when thou prayest, Enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So just as this candle illumined and filled the holy place with light, as the priest came to prayer and to the table of showbread, the light coming from the lampstand, it reminds us of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of the believer. And without the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives, we would be utterly useless. But as we gather here for a prayer meeting this evening, really in the book of Acts, we, we read of a revival conference. It was a meeting where they came together, and it's where for the first time the Spirit of God fell. You see, I want to consider what it looks like when the Holy Spirit fills us as individuals and collectively as a church. And I want you to note a number of things from the book of Acts this evening. And we're going to spend most of our time there. But the one thing that I want to very quickly draw a difference between. And I think this is very important. Is there's a difference between what, what can be called baptism of the spirit. And the filling of the spirit. Both of these are scriptural things. But there's many churches today who have caused great confusion over what these things actually are. So firstly, let me explain to you what the baptism of the Spirit is. As I say, many denominations have complicated the Bible's teaching on baptism of the Spirit. There are many people in our land who focus far too much in their church meetings on the Holy Spirit 
which causes us to shy away from teaching on the Spirit of God. Therefore, I want to put this simply and biblically to you this evening. The day, the hour, the minute, the moment you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin and giving your life to him, at that very moment, the Spirit of God took up residence in your heart. That is the baptism of the Spirit. Simple as that. Doesn't need complicated. The day you were saved, the moment you were saved, the Spirit of God came to dwell in your heart. And that is the doctrine of the baptism of the Spirit. And it only happens once. Despite what others will try to say, from my reading of Scripture, this only happens once. There is no second blessing, which some denominations in our country will teach. Once the Spirit of God enters your life, he is there to stay, because once we are saved, we're saved for all eternity. Now that doesn't mean to say that there will be times when you will be moved by God's Spirit in a meeting and challenged and you will be uh, aware of his presence in a special way. And there's points in your spiritual journey that will realize that God has spoken to us and we can point to those moments. But that is not another baptism of the Spirit as some people teach. So in a nutshell... Baptism of the Spirit happens once and it's the day that you give your life to Christ. And dear brothers and sisters this evening, just as the priest was unable to carry out his duties without the light from the golden lampstand, we are unable to live for Christ and serve him without the light of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We can't serve the Lord unless we are saved. That's baptism of the Spirit. But another, another phrase that you will find in scripture is that speak, it, it speaks of being filled with the Spirit. Now that's different. To be filled with the Spirit is for the Spirit to have an extensive influence and control in the believer's life. You see, you can be saved, but you can live in sin. And this quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit and prevents the filling of the Spirit of God in your life. And that's why we get commands in Scripture like walk in the Spirit. That's in the passage. That's just before we read the fruit of the Spirit. The command comes, walk in the Spirit. It's a command for the child of God that we must walk in the Spirit. It's evidence of an abiding state of fullness rather than a specific event. It's evidence that the Spirit of God, that we are striving with him. And it produces a certain character of life. And it seems to be a close synonym to spirituality. The filling of the Spirit happens many times in the New Testament. It occurs in Luke chapter 4 verse 1 to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It happens in Acts chapter 6 verse 3 to the apostles. It happens in Acts chapter 7 verse 55 in Stephen. It happens in Acts chapter 11 verse 24 to Barnabas. It happens in Acts chapter 13 verse 52 to the disciples. And in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, which is of extreme importance to you and I, we see that it is possible for us as believers to be filled with the Spirit. How those flames filled the holy place with light because it was a place that was set apart for God it was a place of prayer it was a place to feed on God's word and none of this 
could be done without the flame. And I want you just to know three things. Three things that we can learn from this flame that burnt uh, there in the tabernacle in the holy place. And the first thing that we see a picture of is prayer. You see, dear brothers and sisters this evening, when we come to Acts and see the picture of when the circumstances in which the Spirit of God fell, it was in the state of prayer. Read verse 13 of Acts chapter 1 with me. It says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Altheus, and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And dear brothers and sisters, the only way that we can be filled is if we're found on our knees in prayer, both at the prayer meeting and in private. How lovely it is to see a list of names here in scripture. Here was a prayer meeting and they came together in one accord and they met before the Lord. And it was at that prayer meeting that the Spirit of God descended. And let me encourage you this evening we see here the names, they were noted, who were, the people who were at the prayer meeting, their names were noted. And let me say to you, dear brother and sister, the Lord is pleased by your attendance in this place this evening. Let me tell you something. I remember at times when I was teaching, there were some nights that the prayer meeting was on and the devil, devil whispered in my ear, you don't need to go, you're tired. You've had a long week. You've too much to do. Now I'll tell you, there were times I gave in to that temptation. But there are other times that I resisted it and I ignored the devil and I went. And I want to tell you, when I went, I never regretted it. Listen, in scripture, it's noted who is here. And it's noted who's at the prayer meeting this evening. The Lord is pleased by your attendance here this evening. Let me tell you something. This wasn't a short prayer meeting. This was a prayer meeting where they were seeking the throne of God. It wasn't a prayer meeting that they just wrapped up at half past nine. And if we pray much past half past nine, you get the complaint that the door ran over tonight. Let me tell you, when the spirit takes hold of a prayer meeting, time goes out the window. And oh, to have days where fervent spirit-filled prayer comes again, when we're waiting and expecting the Lord to move. The hymn writer wrote, let the fire fall, let the fire fall, let the fire from heaven fall. We are waiting and expecting. Now in faith, dear Lord, we call, let the fire fall. On thy promise we depend from the glory of thy presence. Let the Pentecostal fire descend. Listen, that hymn, of course, the day of Pentecost will only happen once. It's already happened. But it is a cry for the fire of God to fall again. And we need it, I'll tell you. You see, we see the Holy Spirit. It speaks of prayer. It speaks of fire. You know, it should alarm us. That many of us, when we meet in this place, I don't know if we really are waiting or expecting the fire of God to descend. And I don't know about you, but I long for it. Leonard Ravenhill once said this. I think his voice really does speak on in today's age. He said this, The thing that alarms me most about the church in England and America is that there's no alarm 
in the church. We could add ourselves in here in Northern Ireland to that quote. And I honestly feel in these days that the fire of God and his people in our country is barely burning. I believe God is holding back his blessing from us and how we need this fire to descend again and to fill us as a people. And that's why we need to do all thing, all the things that we spoke about in our last study and putting Christ central again and putting Christ back in his place again. And when Christ is put in his place and then we will know the filling of God in our own hearts, then we'll know the filling of God as an assembly here at Grange Baptist. Then the Lord will move in a special way again how in these days as we wait in the Lord in prayer we need to cry out the revival prayer of Psalm 80 verse 14 in Psalm 80 says this return we beseech thee O God of hosts look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine it's a plea to visit this vineyard again and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted I want to tell you something in 2011, this church celebrated 200 years of gospel witness here. Do you know who planted this church at the very start? It was the Lord. And it was the Lord's vineyard. It was his right hand that have planted. And he is the one who has sustained this place over those many, many years. And you know, the psalmist, he goes on this prayer and he said, It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance, let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself, so will not we go back from thee, quicken us, that's the prayer, quicken us to call upon thy name, turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Don't we need to pray like that again? Does it not break your heart today that the church in general, not just a local assembly, but across our province seems so cold? Does it not break your heart today that there are billions who are being ushered out into a Christless eternity? So many of us throughout the day don't even think twice about that. I'm telling you, if we want the fire to fall, we must first fall on our knees and cry out to God again. We have one life. And when God calls you home, you stand before the throne and you give an account of your life, it will be too late to catch up in your prayer life then. And it will be too late to catch up with your evangelism then. You are here for a purpose. And God has put you here where you live as part of this church fellowship for such a time as this. He has a plan for you and he wants you to walk in his will and be filled with his spirit and make a difference here in this part of the vineyard. You see, God wants, God is most pleased with us and we're fully satisfied and dependent on him. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. And we ought to be troubled when we wake up each morning. We live in a world that's lost its way. We live in a country that's lost its way. But dear friends, we have a church that's lost its way. 
And if we want to change that in these days, we need to pray that the Lord would show us our sin and fill us again and that the fire would fall in our own hearts. God's people these days would rather sit in front of the television than get on their knees and get a vision of God. And the TV is telling you more about man than it is of God. And God's people would rather sit in on nights that they could be out serving the Lord and watch the football or some trash TV program talking, taking the Lord's name in vain over and over again. Or any night. They never open the book before them and seek to hear from God. There's people in God's, there's people in God's family who sit and scroll hours through Facebook. They listen to the opinions of men and how to live rather than getting their faces in the book of God and hearing the truth of God. What's important to us? What's happened to us? We're cold. And we've lost the fire of God and we lost it years ago. We need to catch the vision again. And we need to cry out in faith again. You know, I read a story of a pastor just a couple of weeks ago. And he was wondering why God wasn't moving in his church fellowship. And he was wondering why God didn't seem to be doing anything. And while he was sitting thinking about this, he was sitting watching the TV. And what he decided to do was instead of spend the two hours each night that he normally sat in front of the TV, he instead went to his study and he got on his knees and he prayed for two hours each night instead. Do you know what happened? God began to move in his church. Souls began to be saved. And the fire began to burn. We need a band of believers who are willing to catch the fresh vision of God for this generation. We're hanging on to the coattails of spiritual men and women of the past. It's time for this generation to stand up and be counted. Could you imagine one day standing before the judgment seat and the Lord says to you, I had so many things to tell you. But you were too busy, distracted by the useless things that the devil put in front of you. And you never sought my face. Do you know what seeking God's face means? It it doesn't mean just sitting and praying for a short time. It means praying for hours. And asking the Lord to move. Oh, I pray that we won't live wasted lives. I pray that indeed we won't disappoint the Lord. How this... Lampstand that teaches us and we see the spirit of God. We see prayer and how after that time of prayer and the day of Pentecost, the spirit of God fell. We can think of the fire and we need that fire to burn in our hearts again. That speaks of the filling of the spirit of God. But then finally we can think of the power that comes with that. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. Being filled, it speaks of a spiritual person. And let me tell you something, you're just as spiritual as you want to be. And when we're falling on our knees in constant prayer, we'll catch the fire and we'll be helped by the power of God. You see, the man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. The man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. They will know the power of God. They will be bold like Daniel and they'll dare to stand alone. They'll face the fire of this world like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They'll be bold men who were intimate with God. I don't want a warm heart. I want a heart that's on fire. 
And if that flame in the tabernacle was to be kept burning, it needed to be visited often and trimmed often. And if we want to be on fire for God, we need to visit the holy place often, the place of prayer and feeding on the word of God often. And then we will be consumed with the fire of God and know his power in our lives. In Hebrews 12, we are told this, our God is a burning fire. And let me tell you, if he takes up residence in you, and if you strive to live from he- for him each day and each moment, you'll burn with the fire of God until the day and hour you pass into eternity. You see, the fire fell on the day of Pentecost and they were filled and it was after the prayer meeting. And friends, this evening, as we draw to a close, let me direct you quickly to another prayer meeting. It's found in Acts 4, verse 31. And these are the words we read in Acts 4, 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now note that when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they speak the word of God with boldness. Yet again, a prayer meeting filled after seeking God's face. Now listen, I want you to grasp this tonight. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit, but it's another thing for the Spirit of God to have you. Let me ask you, are you cold this evening? The story is told at the time of revival in Barvis in the Isle of Lewis. The two poorly sisters who weren't well, one of them blind in their humble cottage, they call it black houses there. A wee cottage in the island of Lewis. And these two sisters had a burden for God to move. They looked at the state of their church. And they saw that there were no young people coming again. The young people weren't getting saved. And they were going off here, there and everywhere. And they made the conscious decision to get down on their knees and pray. And they would pray through the night at times. Two sisters. And then they called on seven office bearers to join them. And God responded by making his presence known and suddenly a whole community of people became God conscious. And the story is told that the presence of God was so real at times that people were gathering at the church even when there was no service planned and there was a real awareness of God's presence. You know, the church then, now think this began with two ladies who weren't even well. And then their prayer meeting grew and then the church across the island caught a vision of this prayer and they were meeting in people's homes right across the island and around this this time in one of the prayer meetings in Arnold, which is on the Isle of Lewis, towards the close of a prayer meeting in a home of an elder of the Church of Scotland, a local blacksmith was asked to pray. And his prayer turned to the promises of God and his own thirst for God. And he concluded his prayer in these words. And you can read this in Channel of Revival. One of the best books I've ever read. It says this. Oh God, your honor is at stake. And I now challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement. And to do what you've promised to do. And the story goes that at that moment, believe it or not, the house shook. 
And the record is that the dishes rattled on the sideboards as wave upon wave of divine power swept through the house. When that group of praying people closed the prayer meeting, they went out and they found, and I quote again from Channel of Revival, the community alive with an awareness of God. Now you say to me, Peter, that's impossible. Let me tell you something. That happened 74 years ago in the UK. And my question to you, dear believer, tonight is, do you believe God can do it again? We read of a prayer meeting here in Acts where they prayed and the place shook with the presence of the Lord there. We come and we see that it has happened in our land in recent times. That is recent history, 74 years ago. And I want to tell you something. I had the privilege of meeting some of the people who were saved during that time of awakening and revival in the Isle of Lewis. And I want to tell you, 70 years on I met them and the fire of God was burning in their hearts still. When I sat and listened to their stories of how God had moved on the island, when I sat and listened to how the Lord had saved them during that time and how the Lord would kept them, it was absolutely amazing and a privilege to sit in their presence. I wish I could take them across here and let you meet them. But they were wonderful people who caught the vision and saw God move. Oh, that our prayer would be, let the fire fall. We are waiting and expecting. You know, in those prayer meetings in the Isle of Lewis, what I was told was there was such an expectancy that God would answer the prayer. You could feel it in the meeting. That it wasn't just lip service to God. They were praying and they were saying, Lord, you're going to do this. Oh, that we would pray with expectant hearts again. Saying we believe the Lord can do it. We believe the Lord can move. We believe that the Lord can set our hearts on fire and that indeed his presence would be in this community in Grange where the Lord has planted us and fervor afield in the surrounding countryside. Let me ask you believers, do you believe they can do it? Do you? God is here. This is what we sang earlier. Oh, them believing. Bring to him our one desire. That his love may now be kindled. Till its flame. Each heart inspire. Let it come. O Lord we pray thee. Let the showers of blessing fall. We are waiting. We are waiting. O revive the hearts of all. Let's pray. Father, we have spent time considering some of these wonderful events that happened in the days of the early church. And Father, right throughout church history, we have seen special moves of God where in dark, dark times in many different lands that you have moved in special ways because your people humbled themselves and went to prayer and called upon you. 
And Father, we are sorry for our prayers. At times we don't pray with that expectancy. At times we don't pray with that faith that you will move. And Father, we long for that sense of the Spirit of God and our God being present and so tangible in our meetings. We long for that heaviness, that that sense that Indeed, you're here, that, that sense where we lose all thought of time and we're captured and captivated by your presence. Father, it's so long since so many of us have felt that as a fellowship. And Father, we long for that again. And we pray that this fire would fall in this church fellowship, that this fire would fall in this community, that even as we read of the experiences in our own land in the past century, that, Father, we would have the privilege of experiencing that again. But, Father, help us to go to war with our sin. Help us to, call, help us to rely on you wholly. Help us to make Christ central again, that these things may be possible. Father, we're sorry for the times that we so badly let you down. Sorry for the times that we quench your spirit. Father, have a dealing with us this night. Father, we claim that blood of Christ once more. Oh, Father, cleanse us from our sin and move in a special way in this place. Show us our sin. Show us how to live for you. Oh, Father, we call upon you. And we ask you to move in a very special way again. Hear our prayer, O oh God. We ask this for your glory, not our glory. We don't want any of it. We ask this for your glory. That you would make your name great in this place. In this community at the Grange. We pray this in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen.